Well, good morning, and uh, this will be the last uh, morning for me being up here. It's been such a privilege, and I really want to say that, to be able to be with you, not only sharing fellowship, but also sharing God's Word. Amazing time I've had. Now, this morning, we're going to continue our journey. We're going to think about a journey this morning through the Apostles' Creed, And what a journey it's turning out to be. It's bringing a deeper and a richer understanding of what that expression of our Christian faith means to us. Well, that's definitely what it's done for me. And uh, as we go on a journey, I was thinking about this, we get lots of surprises. And uh, I just thought, um, I was thinking about camels for some reason. (laughs) They go on a lot of journeys. And uh, I'm going to have a wee bit of fun at my own expense this morning. So here's a wee surprise I got on a journey with a camel. Yeah, I don't think you can see really my face there. But uh, yeah, the camel looked okay when it was sitting down on the ground. And as soon as it stood up, (laughs) yeah, that was some journey I had. That was taken on the Mount of Olives, actually, in Jerusalem. Uh, It was some uh, journey that. Thanks very much. So, um, there's some surprises in store for us today, I hope, as we go on to this next section of the Creed. Last week, we looked at the communion of saints, our belonging to Christ and to one another, as we spur and encourage each other on in our faith. But we're going to turn our our focus now to that section, as we just heard there uh, in the morning prayers, to that declaration that says, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. And I want to start with a quote from Philip Yancey's book. You may have read this book, What's So Amazing About Grace. It's a great book. Here's what he says. There's nothing we can do to make God love us more, and there's nothing we can do to make God love us less. Now, I start with that quote because when we say that we believe in God's forgiveness, it connects us to God's amazing love and his grace. Heard about that earlier too with the children. His unmerited favor towards us and sending his only son, Jesus, who gave his life for us that we might know freedom, freedom by forgiveness. Now we all love to know freedom in our lives, don't we? It's a very precious thing. We are blessed to have that. We have that freedom of choice to support the things that we believe in, the freedom to give to causes that are dear to us. Yet the most important freedom and the one that is truly experienced in our soul is most often overlooked because whether we realize it or not, we are bound up by our sin and the sins of others in the deepest part of our being, which disrupts our relationship with God and with others. 
that can destroy our life and the world. Now, I wonder, have any of you parked your car at a certain place? Now, this may be your favorite spot. You park your car there all the time. You're going to the dentist. It's a good wee parking space. So maybe you're meeting a friend for lunch. And then you come back from that appointment or that lunch. And you discover that you've got a parking ticket. Or even worse, your car's been towed away. Now, either way, you'll still have to pay the fine. You'll still have to redeem your car. And sometimes at no small cost. Now, redeem, to redeem as we know, means to complete the payment of an obligation or a debt to get that something back. And where you thought you had freedom, well, you didn't. And the cost to redeem your car may have been exorbitant. But the cost, and here's the spiritual truth, it's a parallel truth, the cost to pay the debt of our sin was incalculable. The freedom for our soul was purchased by Jesus that dark day that he hung on the cross. The price has been paid, just as we heard with the children there. His blood has been shed instead of ours, and we're redeemed. We've been bought back. And our redemption relates to the forgiveness of sins, and it brings us to the crux of the gospel. And what we declare that we believe, the church, that's us, that's God's people, we're a community of those forgiven. We are a community of those who practice forgiveness. And we are a community of those who proclaim forgiveness. And so this morning, we're just going to look at some powerful forgiveness principles, ones that can liberate our soul, but can also transform our lives. So firstly, I wonder if you've ever thought about this, we are legally forgiven. We're legally forgiven. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 tells us, in him, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. There's that word again, grace. You see, Jesus came to fulfill the law, not abolish it. Tells us that in Matthew 5 and 17. And God created laws of justice. And so the payment for forgiveness must be made or our sin cannot be legally paid for. And Jesus paid that price with his own blood because of grace. He redeemed us so that we have a legal right to enter his presence, not just for now, but for eternity. And here I'm going to now share a wee funny story and I hope I get this right. It's called the Pearly Gates. We may have heard it here before, but hey, it's a great wee story. A man dies and he goes to heaven and St. Peter meets him at the Pearly Gates and he says, here's how it works. You need 100 points to make it into heaven. You tell me all the good things you've done and I'll give you a certain number of points for each item and depending on how good it was. And when you reach 100, you get in. Okay, the man says. Well, I've been married to the same woman faithfully for 50 years. Well, that's wonderful. 
says St. Peter. Well, that's worth three points. Three points, the man says. Well, here's another one. I attended church all my life and supported its ministry with my tithe and service. Terrific, says St. Peter. That's certainly worth a point. One point, the man says. Well, how about this? I started a soup kitchen in the city and I worked in a shelter for the homeless. Fantastic. That's good for two more points, said St. Peter. Two points, the man cries. Well, at this rate, the only way I'll get into heaven is by the grace of God. And St. Peter says, in you come, come on in. Now, while it's got a wee amusing touch, the truth is that it's only by grace we can enter. And only by grace we can know the forgiveness of our sins. So we're not only legally forgiven, but we're also personally forgiven. Now, I'm hoping now what we'll be able to see is one of my favorite paintings. You probably know this one, or you've seen it perhaps in books and things. It's actually in St. Petersburg, I think, hanging up. And there it is. It's the Rembrandt painting of the prodigal son. Surely there's not a more beautiful picture of the personal forgiveness of God than the story of the prodigal son. Now most of us will know this parable really well in Luke 15. It's a young man of a young man. He took his father's inheritance, walked away from home, and he immersed himself in every pleasure that money could buy. And then he discovered a reality of life that when his money ran out, he was left with nothing except empty shame and an empty stomach. And his thoughts began to turn homeward and he decided to make that journey back home. And he would acknowledge his sin before his father and before God. And he was going to ask his father if he could take him on as a hired hand. He expected nothing more. And I've often wondered, I wonder what he was thinking as he made that journey home. What would await him there? Shame, rejection, scorn, a lecture, told you so, reprimand severely. Should he bother, perhaps, he wondered, after all he'd done. But here's what verse 20 tells us. It gives us this beautiful picture of what happened next. And something that I'm sure the son never expected in a million years. It says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and filled with compassion for him, he ran, he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. I mean, don't you just love a happy ending? I love the films with the happy endings. You know, he didn't return to a scolding, but to a full-on celebration. It was party time, big style for this son. And so it is with us. When we've wandered away from God, God takes the initiative and he runs to us. We've been singing about it this morning in worship. He's running after us. He runs after us. He's just so excited to be back together 
with us. And he throws his arms around us, so to speak, and he embraces us because he loves us so much. And he's never stopped loving us, but also because he can. He can. In Christ, we are redeemed completely. So God can forgive us on a personal level completely. And here's a a quote from an unknown author. And this is what it says. I'd love you unconditionally, but you just don't deserve it. Now, for some of us, the crux of the problem when it comes to God's love and God's forgiveness is that deep inside, we're still trying to earn God's love. We're still trying to make ourselves worthy of his grace. We're still trying in our own strength to do something that's already been done over two and a half thousand, two thousand years ago, nearly half, on the cross at Calvary, where Jesus cried, it is finished. We prayed this this morning, it's finished, and he redeemed us completely. So we're legally forgiven, we're personally forgiven, but we're also continually forgiven, continually. As we read earlier in Ephesians 1, God's forgiveness is ours in accordance with his grace. His grace covers our sin in Christ. And the very moment it's committed, it's gone, it's forgotten, as though it never happened. We may still have to live with consequences, but our sin is continually forgiven. And as I was thinking about this, I thought about an analogy. I don't know how much is used now, even in the accounting world. But if we think of an accounts ledger or a record or mostly now a bank statement, so you get your bank statement in and you've got all these items that need to be paid every month. So you look at the first item and then column on the other side and you look at it and it says paid in full. So you go down to the next item and you look to the column and it says paid in full. And then to the next one, paid in full. And as you go down the page, as you look over, they've all been paid in full. You get to the bottom of the statement and you realize everything has been paid in full. You're absolutely overjoyed. In fact, you're probably very well relieved as well, but you're ecstatic. Everything has been paid in full. And even if you were to flip back some pages, you would see paid in full and go forward to pages. Everything would be paid in full for every sin in the entirety of our lives. We would see the same words we see the same words in relation to our sin because every sin is accounted for and all the debt has been satisfied through the payment of the cross. Jesus has paid the price in full for us. Continual forgiveness. It's an awesome thing, isn't it? When we grasp this, it's awesome. But our struggles, however, with sin are continually awful. And it would be nice if temptation, you know, it would just go away when we become a follower of Jesus. 
but it doesn't. We got some examples from the children this morning. It doesn't. In fact, sometimes it gets much worse. And here's what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 7, 21 to 25, as he describes really honestly his struggles and the tension between indwelling sin and the desire to obey God in his spirit. This is what it says. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Paul's not alone here. Open the Bible at most, most books. You'll find men and women entangled with their sinful behavior. But you'll also find a God who continually forgives. And he uses these people to do mighty works for him and to work out his eternal purposes. We could think of David in the Old Testament, committed adultery and then murder. We think of Peter in the New Testament. He denied Jesus three times and they were both used by God to lead a mighty nation and to build his church. And neither are we alone with these same struggles. As we heard the children give some examples this morning, we are not alone. If we're honest, you and I know the feeling. We know that feeling. Something in our body is programmed to sin, and yet something in our spirit, made new by God's spirit within us, deeply desires to obey God. And although it's still frustrating and it still entangles us, the good news, we heard about the good news to the children as well. The good news, as we've just read, is that we are set free through the victory that is ours in Christ. And what does that really mean for you and for me, for us as we journey in our faith? Well, this continual forgiveness says something, does it not? about the relationship God wants to have with us. And he wants this even more than we do. He's running, he's running towards us. He's running after us. His continual forgiveness allows us to be one in Christ with him always. And because our redemption is total, our forgiveness is continual. That's his promise. So not only can we ask for forgiveness, but we can continually thank God for his forgiveness. Now, you're still with me on the journey. Still with me on the camel. It's exciting, isn't it? We're legally, we're personally, we're continually forgiven, but we're also transformationally forgiven. Quite a big word, that. I wonder, are there any of us or your children maybe some grandchildren, were ever a fan of the Transformers. Yeah, and it was a line of toys. Now, there were vehicles and there were robots, these line of toys. What they did, they joined them together. So they became these robotic figures. They all had names. And there was the good robots trying to save the earth. 
and there were the evil robots. Yeah, some people got them uh, uh, evil robots. They were trying to destroy the earth. So there was always this friction going on. But here's the main point. The main point that these robots could be changed from one thing to the other. I want you to hold that image, you know, and if you've got one of these toys, you'll be thinking about Hold that image, because this is what the Bible tells us about being transformed in our own personal lives. We become new creations, a bit like the, like the egg that we saw there. We become new creations because of the personal forgiveness that we've received in Christ. Here's what Romans 6, verses 6 to 7 says about that. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. Because anyone who's died has been set free from sin. And Paul follows this up in 2 Corinthians 5.17. It's a well-known verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. That's amazing. And how does it work for us? How does that work out in our daily lives? We stand amazed, do we not, that God changes us. He's forever in the process of changing us. Changing us from that old self that we heard about earlier. Meaning that before the Holy Spirit came and made us new, our old self kept us slaves to sin, doing the things that separated us from God. Now, we heard about that a few weeks ago with the Holy Spirit. We're going in the opposite direction. We're going against the Spirit of God. It's hard work. We're dragging our feet. We're exhausted. But when we put our trust in Jesus, we're in Christ and the old self has been crucified. It's no longer alive. And the new creation has taken its place. We're no longer enslaved to sin, but we have a newness of life. And we do the things that please God. We change direction. We talked about that. Where we're, we're moving, the Holy Spirit are back. And we're moving. We're moving towards holiness. And in that transformation, we choose we choose to walk in the freedom of forgiveness that God gives us. We choose to walk in holiness with the Holy Spirit empowering us. Now, these are just amazing, powerful forgiveness principles that God is working out in our lives. But stay with me as we just take a wee is heading a wee bit different direction on this journey. Because forgiveness doesn't just involve us and God. What about the forgiveness of the sins committed against you and against me? This is what Colossians 3 and 13 says. It says, bear with one another and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. We have said the Lord's prayer this morning and we say it and we sincerely mean it. But we're on this journey of forgiveness. Jesus calls us to follow in his footsteps. 
to be willing to allow him to work through us in order to forgive the sins of others towards us. They are going to happen. This is life. It's not easy. Our old self rears its ugly heads, so to speak. And to quote Jim Glennon, this is what he said about this. He said, the devil of resentment is that it's justified. And I'm going to say that again. The devil of resentment is that it is justified. We reason with ourselves. It's all their fault. They're to blame. And that might be true. That might be the case. Jesus calls us to higher ground. And in Matthew 5, he calls us to turn the other cheek. He calls us to go the extra mile. Calls us to love and to bless our enemies. Jesus calls us to the higher ground of forgiveness and to release others from resentment. But that wee voice, that wee tape, can come back into our head again. Oh, we're justified in our resentment. Now, research has shown that unforgiveness is a potent cause of various physical and mental illnesses. Research has shown this. It leads to stress, to anger, some of the things we saw in the egg, stress and anger, hatred, conflict, yes, and even ulcers. And the one-time World Authority on stress, it was a man called Hans Selye, this is what he said, the main component of stress is resentment, and the main component and resentment is the need to forgive. If you could follow that line of his thinking, it's the need to forgive. It brings that freedom. How willing are we to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, to seek the higher ground, to ask God to work his healing or forgiveness through us towards those who've wronged us. We partner with him as the Holy Spirit fills us with his love and his forgiveness for others. But not only do we need to forgive others, but we also need to ask other people to forgive us for the things that we have done wrong against them. You know, some of the toughest words unquestionably to say, I think, in the English language, and one of them is not supercalifragilistic, it's not that. Some of the hardest words to say are, will you forgive me? Because in asking for forgiveness, we have to admit our sin in clear terms. We have to admit our stubbornness and our shame. And then actually, if need be, we've got to choke out the words. Will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? And there's a risk in this. I mean, others may not actually let that go. They may hang on to their feelings of anger even when you do that. And even if they do forgive, you may have some natural consequences to contend with. But it's been said that it takes two to reconcile 
but it only takes one to forgive. And God's will for us is to follow in the footsteps of his son, Jesus, and to be the one to give and to ask for forgiveness. And one of the hardest, often the hardest person to forgive is yourself. For some reason, we continue to hold on the sins that even God has let go. We prayed this. We heard this in the prayer this morning from Lynn. Psalm 103, verse 12. This is what it says. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. You see, as we confess our sin and we turn away from our sin, we receive God's forgiveness, we need to let go. God already has. And we may need to tell ourselves boldly and loudly, if necessary, that I am legally forgiven, I'm personally forgiven, I'm continually forgiven, and that through the fullness of forgiveness, our lives, your life, my life, has been transformed, and we are new creations in Christ. Now, I want to finish with this uh, true story. You may have heard this. It's told in the book called The Hiding Place by Corrie ten Boom. And it just demonstrates beautifully the healing and freedom that forgiveness brings. She tells of an encounter with an, uh, one of the SS guards from the Ravensbrück uh, concentration camp where she and her sister were held. And after the war, she traveled Germany. She was taking meetings, um, speaking about the love and the forgiveness of God. And uh, here she was after the meeting, this former SS guard came up to her and he wanted to shake her hand to thank her for sharing about God's love and God's forgiveness. And this is what she says, she struggled. She struggled to raise her hand. She could not find that forgiveness for him within herself. And in that moment, she says, she desperately asked God to give her his forgiveness for him. And she recalls that as she raised her arm to take his hand, incredibly, there sprang a love for this stranger who'd been her enemy. And she said, it almost overwhelmed her. It almost overwhelmed her. And then she said that this was the great discovery that she made at that moment. And this was what it was. She said that when God calls us to love, to forgive our enemies, he gives along with the command, the love and the forgiveness itself. It's a beautiful story, beautiful. And it's a beautiful example of the call for each one of us to walk in the freedom of forgiveness that God's provided for us in Christ. How willing are we to allow the Holy Spirit to fill us, to empower us, to be transformed 
more and more into his image. I mean, what a journey we are living. Never a dull moment. It is full of excitement and it's full of the grace of God. Let's have a prayer. Gracious God, we stand in awe of your grace and your forgiveness for us in Jesus. And as we journey with you, keep our hearts open to receive your redeeming love, your forgiveness, to forgive others and offer forgiveness where we have been in the wrong, just as you continually forgive us. Transform us day by day through the power of your Holy Spirit living within us to become more like you each day. And we ask this in your name. Amen.